Good morning. Hello. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. Hey, before I jump into the sermon this morning, I just want to say two quick things. I know we're like announcement crazy today, but um, I, I just want to highlight a couple things. First of all, Women's Night in Prayer. I just want to encourage any of you women who are maybe on the fence on this. I have seen personally the amount of time and energy that has gone into this event. It's going to be great. Uh, there, this is not a guilt moment, so if, if you're not going, it's not guilt. But if you're on the fence and maybe there's something like fear or anxiety or insecurity that's holding you back, push through that and be a part of it. It's going to be great. Second, Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, for the last 11 years, my wife and I have had the opportunity to be a part of this ministry in two different churches. And I have to tell you, uh, Cedar Mill just does such a bang-up job. If you are new here, are you looking to get plugged into our community and really get to know some folks and figure out what does it look like to serve and love Jesus, be his hands and feet as a part of our church, there is no better way than through Royal Family. So um, I, it's a big commitment to take a week, but you will not regret it. It's something I can say, honestly, has literally changed uh, Amy and and Maya's life um, forever. So, so consider that, be a part of it, talk to Tom and the crew in the lobby. All right, ready for sermon? Yeah. You excited for the sermon? Yeah, yeah I hope so. Well, we'll find out. Um, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, grab your Bibles if you have them, or pull one out of the pew rack. If you're using a pew Bible, we're again on page 840, and we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke and we are in this, this section where we are just getting these phenomenal pictures of Jesus week after week. Uh, this week is no exception to that. This story is a little bit less familiar than our story from last week. But again, this is one of those moments where the picture Luke paints for us of Jesus is one that remi- reminds me again, this is why I'm a Christ follower right here. Uh, this is this is my Jesus. So without further ado, here we go. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. They, that's the disciples and Jesus, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened... They ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. 
So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home. Tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Kind of just normal, everyday life in Cedar Mill, really. I mean, kind of, right? Now, this is a crazy story. And and, and let me remind us again, uh, as we dive into these stories of Jesus, Jesus doesn't just go around performing miracles and doing amazing, crazy stuff just to look cool. This isn't like attention-needing Jesus. You didn't like my sermon on the plane enough? Well, check this out, you know. Pow, zing, pow, storms and dead people and demons. Look at me. No, it's not, that's not the goal of the miracles, just so that we can admire how awesome and powerful Jesus is. He is awesome and powerful, and yet the miracles go so much further. When Jesus chooses to display his power, it is always to demonstrate and advance the mission of the kingdom of God. That's the point. There's like an, an audio-visual moment to say, this is what it looks like. And, and Luke will use these moments to teach us, to teach the church. Power advances mission. And when mission starts to move forward, when the kingdom of God starts to advance, there are forces in this world that do not want that. Power advances mission, but mission brings opposition. When Jesus stepped ashore... The second his foot hits dry ground, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. See how that happens? As soon as mission begins, opposition starts. So it kind of reminds me of the scene from Ghostbusters, uh, kind of an old classic, uh, where Bill Murray walks into Sigourney Weaver's apartment and, and he sees her like floating above her bed, possessed by this evil spirit, and she's screaming like, uh, like a crazy person. And Bill Murray kind of walks in and goes, whoa, and then he says... I can see you're busy. I'll drop by later. Like he's out of there. And you kind of think that, that's what I would do if I hit the shore and then naked, crazy, demon-possessed guy came running out. Oh, I can see you're busy. I think we'll head back. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus knows mission brings oppositions. And friends, we must remember this. Luke writes about Jesus. And as he does, he always is looking ahead to the book of Acts. He's always looking ahead to the early church and tying the story of Jesus and his ministry to what the church will go through, to the persecution and and tremendous opposition that they and all Christ followers throughout the centuries will face. And so woven into Luke's story here, quite simply, is him saying to the early church, to them, to us, of course you'll face challenge. You're facing difficult struggles as you seek to advance the kingdom? Of course you will. Of course this isn't easy. Of course there are forces working against you that are going to to offer resistance and struggle and friction. You are advancing the kingdom of God in a world where enemy forces are entrenched. What did you think would happen? And friends, it's really no different for you and me. Right? This happens on a kind of a grand global scale, but also happens on a very personal scale as well. Just think about it for a second. Is transformation in your life easy or hard? I'll answer it for you. It's hard. I promise you it's hard. If you're talking about real transformation, it is always hard. It is hard to break addictive patterns. It is hard to fix broken relationships. It is hard to move from selfishness to selflessness. 
from me-focused to others-focused, from pride to humility, from fear to faith, from what can I get to what can I give, from control to surrender. These sort of transformative things in our hearts and minds and lives do not come easy because there is opposition. Wherever the kingdom seeks to advance, there will be resistance. And perhaps the first thing Jesus shows us here is that our goal as Christ followers is not to avoid opposition, but to take the message of the gospel and the healing, restoring power of the kingdom of God that Christ offers and to take it wherever he calls us. In fact, Luke starts this story with, with, with a very pointed sentence. It's a sentence most of us just read right past, and yet it actually sets the tone for this entire story, for this entire episode. He starts in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Now, what is the region of the Gerasenes? Well, if you look at a map, which I'll throw up here for you, and I'm going to use my laser pointer today, because it's fun. Um, you can see here, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, Galilee right here. For you guys on that side, Galilee right here, Sea of Galilee. So Jesus spends most of his time in ministry right here in Galilee, actually right on the north northwestern uh, bank is his home base, Capernaum. And this is where he is, and they're going to sail right across the sea right across the sea, to the region of the what? The Gerasenes. Notice this city right here circled in red? Gerasa. Who lives in Gerasa? The Gerasenes, yes. And Gerasa was just sort of this main uh, city in this whole entire region. And so people of the entire region, whether they were from this particular city or not, are often referred to as the Gerasenes. In fact, this whole region is a region that's called the Decapolis. And you can see it here on the next slide, outlined in red. And the Decapolis is just like a, a, a Greek term for the ten cities, because there are ten main cities in this area. And the people of the Decapolis, you have to know this, they were about as pagan and anti-Jewish as you can possibly be. People from this area considered the Jews to be religious fanatics, and they wanted absolutely nothing to do with the God of Israel. In fact, anything the Jews stood for, they kind of stood against. They're kind of opposite of the Jews in so many ways. And so in return, the Jews believed the people of the ten cities, and in fact the entire region of the Decapolis, was dominated by Satan. In other words, this region was an evil, foreign, scary, godless land where the devil himself and all his demons found their home. That's what the Jews believe. And so when Jesus shows up on the shores of this region and encounters a raging, naked, demon-possessed man, they're actually not surprised at all. This is exactly what they would think to encounter if you were to go to this place. For them, for the disciples in this moment, it is no shock that the forces of hell reside in the region of the Gerasenes and the Decapolis. So the question is, what is Jesus trying to say by sailing right into the heart of hell and pulling up on shore in the exact spot where this demon-possessed man is living amongst the dead? Why does he go here? Because if you read the account, he just sails across the lake has this moment with the crazy guy, and then sails back. That's, that's it. So why, why all the trouble? Why all the hassle? Why the long trip in the boat and the storm and all that? Why would he go? 
Here's why. Jesus is making a very pointed statement. He's telling them, he's showing his disciples, Luke is explaining to us, his church, that that Jesus' mission, that his message and love and grace and kingdom are even for the scary, evil, wretched, godless people of the Decapolis. Christ has come even for them. See, friends, so often in the American church, we can slowly let this mindset creep in that as we look around at our scary, unpredictable world, it's just better and easier and maybe God's will if we just huddle up. You know, God God's just wants us together to huddle up and to remove ourselves and isolate ourselves from, from all the stuff that's out there and to choose the safest options possible and tell ourselves that, you know, God always wants us to be safe. Safety is God's highest priority. You got newsflash for you, friends. I'm all for safety. Safety's good. Not God's highest priority. And I believe this is actually one of those passages where Jesus demonstrates that his mission involves some risk. His mission will sometimes involve chance, will sometimes take us across the lake. First question today, where is the other side of the lake for you? Where is that place God wants you to go on mission? Maybe it's a new place, maybe it's a place you've been, or a place you've lived for a long time. But maybe today, the challenge is, will you go there anew? Will you go there fresh with Jesus? Who is, who is that person that you're scared or maybe don't want to engage? And God says, time to go across the lake. Is there, is there a task or a calling or a job that God is asking you to step into with him? Maybe something huge, maybe something big, maybe it's just a really small thing. Maybe for some of you ladies, this is that night in prayer moment, or maybe it's that signing up for Royal Kids, for Royal Family Kids Camp, or maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or a ministry opportunity that God is, is launching you into. Because here's the, here's the deal, friends. If you look throughout the Bible, God has this fairly regular habit of sending his people into tough, challenging, uncomfortable situations time and time and time again. And I think he does it on purpose. And and here's the next thing that when you receive that truth that you need to hear in this story. Verse 28. When he, when this this demon-possessed man, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice. You think Luke is trying to highlight this? (laughs) What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. That's my best demon voice, sorry. I'm not good at demon voices, which is probably good. Um, The best and perhaps most important part of the story is that these evil forces of hell... Not only do they not scare Jesus at all, they're scared of him. You see, they know who they're dealing with here. They know they're dealing with the one, the son of the most high God. In fact, what's crazy about this story is that these demons actually answer the question the disciples disciples themselves ask in the previous section. If you remember from last week, if you were here, um, they're on the boat, they're kind of cruising over, they're out in the middle of the sea, a storm suddenly comes, the boat is being swamped, Jesus is sleeping, they wake him up, they say, we're going to die, he stands, well, I don't know if he stands, but he rebukes the wind and the waters and restores calm again to the sea, and then what do the disciples say? What's their response? to this amazing feat who is this 
He commands even the winds and the water and they obey Him. Who is this? You see, the disciples still aren't sure who Jesus is, but the demons know. The demons know who they're dealing with. One scholar I read this week said, and I love this, the demons are actually more theologically orthodox than the disciples. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Here's the truth, friends. Sometimes we are a lot like the demons. We know who Jesus is, but we're not really with him. Other times we're a lot like the disciples. We're with Jesus but we don't really know who he is. And so listen again to how Luke tells this story because he wants you to be crystal clear about who Christ is. When the man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Hear this. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Friends, Luke wants us to understand that this is a power no one can control. The people of this town have been trying, this is, but this is a force that not even chains and guards can contain. And, and now... We'll find out why. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. That's a military term used to refer to a a Roman uh, military troop. And uh, the numbers of soldiers in a Roman legion actually shift around a bit during this time period. And so depending on who you read, you'll get varying numbers for how many soldiers were actually in a legion and how many demons are, are, are in this story. But I'll just say it's somewhere between two and 8,000. And the point of Luke, again, not to get caught up in the details of the numbers, the point of Luke is this. This is a lot of demons. This is a major spiritual throwdown. This is Jesus taking on the forces of evil in no small way. This isn't like a one-on-one match. This is Jesus versus a whole entire legion of the enemy. Verse 31. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now the abyss was the final place of judgment. And, And these demons know that Jesus is the one with the power to send them to the place they, they most fear. Do you hear the respect? Do you hear the terror in their voice? A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. The word begged in the Greek means they continuously begged him. They begged him over and over and over again. And listen to how Luke says this because he writes this story so masterfully as he helps us to get to know and understand who Jesus is. Listen to the picture he paints of Jesus here. Here's Jesus' response. Or here's the response. And he, and that's Jesus, and Jesus gave them permission. They begged him over and over and over again, send us into the pigs, Jesus, and he gave them permission. Do you see how much control he has? Do you see the level of authority of Jesus in this moment? Pastor Matt and I were talking about the passage this week, and and he made a comment that I thought was just wonderful because we were just both like, drooling at the awesomeness of this story and he said this encounter does not even require jesus to break a sweat 
And it's like, that's so true. This isn't even hard for him. Thousands of demons, this unchainable force, and Jesus just dismisses them with a phrase. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, one of the questions that often comes up uh, in this story is, what's the deal with the pigs? You ever wonder that? Like, why does Jesus hate pigs so much? I'm a big fan of bacon. Apparently, Jesus doesn't know much about bacon here because I think if he tried it, it's pretty good. Is he a pig hater? Do we need to have, like, protesters out front, animal rights? No, this is a very cultural moment. You need to understand what Luke is telling us here and what Jesus is demonstrating. Here's the deal with the pigs. For the Jewish people, pigs were like... They were considered to be the lowest, dirtiest, vilest, most disgusting creatures on the face of the earth. That's why, by the way, you never find pigs in Israel. Pigs don't show up in the Bible that much because most of the Bible takes place amongst the Jewish people in Israel and they did not have pigs there. In fact, you remember the story of the prodigal son? You guys know this one where the son says, Dad, I'm ready to go it on my own. He gets his inheritance and he takes off for a foreign land and now he's just going to live it up and he squanders his inheritance and then he ends up like wasting all his money and then what does he have to do to make ends meet? He ends up, yeah, taking care of pigs and he's feeding the pigs and he even ends up eating the food he's feeding the pigs to fill his own belly, right? So there's pigs in that story. Why? Because the foreign land the son goes off to, the prodigal, is this very place, the Decapolis. That's where he goes to sort of live it up and experience this godless life. So again, don't miss the point of Luke here. What we're being shown by Jesus driving the demons into pigs is that the power of God is so overwhelmingly greater than the forces of evil, they are like pigs compared to him. They are as far beneath Jesus as they can possibly get. Friends, I asked you earlier where across the lake is for you today. Where God might send you out of your comfort zone to advance mission and represent him. Where is across the lake for you? And uh, as you think about that place, as you think about the task, and as you consider potentially some of the struggles or challenges or obstacles that might come your way if you decide to, to in fact cross that lake, I want to ask you to think about this as well. The fact that you go in the name of the one who dismisses the forces of evil into pigs with a phrase. See, as you think about the other side of that lake, it may seem scary or treacherous or intimidating, but when you remember who it is that goes with you to that shoreline, the one who just legions of demons and he dismisses them into pigs with just a word, with just a phrase. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Now, what's crazy about this this section, this story, is that Jesus seems to come to town and do this amazing thing that no one else has been able to do. This is a man who the people of, of this place have watched endure pain and agony and torture probably for years, at least some considerable amount of time, and they've tried everything 
They've done everything in their power to, to contain him and control him and help him and nothing has worked. And now Jesus shows up and in a moment he drives away these demons. He restores this man. The passage says to a place where now A, he's dressed. He's keeping his clothes on. I mean, you'd think they'd appreciate that. It's a real positive thing. Someday I'll tell you the story about how the very first month of me being a pastor, a guy came into our office, beat up one of my coworkers, and got completely naked. That's a great story. That's another time. But let me tell you, let me just say it this way. Keeping the clothes on is a positive move in the right direction here. And that's where he starts. And then he's sitting at Jesus' feet, and he says, he's in his right mind. He's thinking... He's thinking in ways he's never, he's, he hasn't thought in years, and the people are seeing this. You would think that the people of this town would celebrate. You'd think that they would they'd roll out the red carpet and crown Jesus king, but they don't. That is not their response to Jesus at all. Luke tells us they were afraid. Again, he uses the, the, a phrase again. They were overcome with fear. And you know, sometimes people as they talk about this story, get this idea that the reason the people are upset with Jesus is because he killed their pigs. But if you read Luke's account here, from Luke's perspective and what he says, that's not the reason they're upset at all. It's not where they're focused. They're actually very focused on this man and what what Christ has done for him. And that's what makes them terrified. You see, the people, I believe, in this town, in this region have become so comfortable with the forces of sin and suffering in their midst that redemption and freedom and healing power from God, that causes them more fear than the demons of this world. See, they become so comfortable with the injustice and persecution and evil around them, they're more scared of Jesus than changing those realities. One scholar I read this week said it this way, They had God in their midst, incredible power to rescue them, to free them, to give them life and light, and instead they preferred to remain in their bondage in the lives they had carved out for themselves. And that last phrase is where it starts to cut me. In the lives they had carved out for themselves. Got a place in your life where you've just carved out a nice life from yourself, but Jesus is nowhere near it. You see, most of the time, the resistance and rejection and opposition Jesus gets in this world, that Jesus gets from us, it's not primarily the result of unbelief or a lack of faith in his power. Most of the time, friends, when we reject Jesus, when we ask him to leave, when we ignore him, it's because we're nervous or uncomfortable, or flat out afraid of the changes he will make. Friends, do you ever get so comfortable with your own sin, with the own patterns of your life that have nothing to do with God, that you justify them, you choose not to think about them, and in one sense, simply just ask Jesus to leave you alone? Got any regions like that? Maybe another way of asking it. Are there regions in your life that you've asked Jesus to leave because what he wants will contradict the life you've carved out for yourself. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. 
Do you see the the clear and yet so powerful uh, teaching of Luke here? Do you understand the clear exhortation of Jesus, not just for this man, but for his people, for his church? Right in the middle, Jesus says, of the routines and people you encounter every day are opportunities for you to advance the kingdom and share the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, so often, too often, we think we need a mission trip or a special church program to be on mission. But the message of Luke and the message of the entire New Testament, really, is that when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we join the mission He has for us in this world. In other words, we don't just do mission or missions or Christian stuff from time to time. As Christ followers, we live on mission. One of the things... Pastor Gabby often says, and and I'm a big fan of it when she says this, she'll say something like, I'm a missionary from Mexico to the United States. I'm a missionary from Mexico to Portland, Oregon. And every time she says that, it like ignites something in me because guess what? Me too. I'm I'm not from a foreign country. I'm just like a white guy from the good old U.S. of A., But I am a missionary in Portland, Oregon, just as much as she is. And if you are a follower of Jesus who lives here, newsflash, so are you. So are you. There is mission, work, ministry to be done right where you live every single day. I mean, think about it. Just stop for a minute. Imagine what it would look like to shop on mission. That's like a pulpit endorsement for shopping. You're welcome. To shop on mission. To go to work on mission. To be a part of a neighborhood on mission. To do sports with your kids and grandkids on mission. To engage a school district on mission. To walk the halls of your middle school or high school on mission. To work out on mission. To go out to eat on mission. Again, you're welcome. Friends. It could go on and on and on. It could look at so many different ways, but I'll tell you, there is something different about a person who understands that all the time and in every situation, God could use me to tell His story. In fact, God wants to tell His story through me. Do you know that? And, and by the way, I want to be real clear about what I'm talking about here and what I'm not. This doesn't mean that you begin to live your life kind of on edge, always putting your best face on and pretending to be the perfect little person who at any moment might pull a Bible track out of your pocket. It's not what I mean when I say live on mission. It's not what I'm talking about. This, this means opening your mind and heart and life to the Spirit and being real and open and honest and standing up for things and people God would stand up for. It means letting God have increasing control of your heart such that your life begins to flow with things like love and joy and fun and peace and reconciliation. It means being a good listener at times. It means creating margin in your life so that you have time to be the kind of friend or coworker or neighbor that you know God wants you to be. It means making sure that you've had time with God yourself in ways that fill you up so that you aren't just operating out of your own strength and trying really hard to be a good person with a Jesus sticker on top. It means admitting when you're wrong and receiving grace and then offering that same grace to other people in your life. It means all that, friends, and so much more that we do not have time to talk about this morning, but the point is this. Live as a missionary wherever you are and wherever God calls you to be.
Jesus, he, he turns this man loose to live as real and authentic a life as you can possibly live. Why? Because it is lived out of a personal encounter with the Son of the Most High God. It's a life that constantly remembers what Jesus did for him. It's a life that never forgets what he was delivered from. And friends, that's exactly why every week when we come together, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate this meal to remember the power of sin from which we have been saved. So this morning again, as we, as we close our, our service, we want to give you a few minutes to do that, to remember. Just remember that from which you have been saved. To remember the power of the one that has saved you and what it cost him. And as you remember, friends, as you remember that power and who that God is, ask again this question. Lord, what lake are you calling me to cross today? What step do you want me to take in my life? Because I think one of the biggest tragedies about church is that when people leave and nothing changes. So let me challenge you this morning to pick one thing, one lake, big or small, something in your life, some response to this, this story, this passage that will make your life different. If you can't think of one, ask God to reveal one. I promise he will. What lake is God calling you to cross today? So I'm going to pray. The tables are open. You're invited to, when you're ready, spend some time with the Lord and then come. Take the bread and the cup and go back to your seat. And then when you've done your business with God, receive the elements on your own and then we'll continue with worship. But don't miss this opportunity to invite God to partner with you in moving forward to advance his mission in this world. Father, thank you for your son. It's his name that we lift up. It's his power that we trust in and rely on. Help us, Lord, to be people of mission, people who are willing to risk and go and share and be I know that looks different for a lot of people in this room, Lord. And so I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, that you would you'd bring to mind exactly the things that we need to, as individuals and even as a community, be thinking about right now. So, so God, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, and we pray it in the name of your Son. Amen.